Hey folks, you know, five years from today, you're going to be the exact same person that you are right now, except for the books that you read and the people you get to meet along the way. Welcome back to another episode of Cattle Pros. I'm your host, Jake Scott, and today we're going to go in a different direction. Now in this podcast, we've promised to bring you professionals from every corner of the cattle business and today we're going to get into one of the most exciting areas of the business and that's the auction business. If you've ever been to an auction, it's one of the most exciting, exhilarating things that we have in the cattle business and today we're going to speak with a top professional from the auction business that's going to give us a little bit of a behind the scenes look. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Cattle Pros Podcast, Mr. Delvin Helderman. Delvin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be on with you. You bet. Now, Delvin works as a professional ringman in many of the purebred auctions uh, around the country. If you don't know him, I bet you've seen him, and it's going to be a pleasure to introduce you to him today. Really, really a top-notch guy, someone I consider a friend, and, and I've had a, a opportunity to know for quite a few years. So, uh, Delvin, we do appreciate your time. I know it's getting to be a busy time of the season for you. Now, depending on when people are listening to this episode, uh, you and I are actually having this conversation here in the middle of August, and so I know it's getting to be be pretty busy time for you, so thanks for squeezing us in here. You bet. My pleasure. Okay, so let's just jump right in here, and uh, let's start with giving the folks just a little bit of a brief background on what it is that you do. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that you're a professional ringman, but what does that mean to someone not as familiar with auctions? I, uh, I travel all, all over the United States and Canada, and pro- professional ringman, some, some people call them bid spotters, like at the horse sales and stuff, they were called bid spotters, but... Uh, I'm the guy that uh, is between the auctioneer and the crowd. I'm just another set of eyes and ears, and uh, I'm there to, to turn the bids into the auctioneer, help see, help hear, and uh, keep keep the bidding in all straight, and also encourage the buyers to, to bid up more on whatever we're selling. Okay. So it's kind of a team sport, really. It's uh, kind of a team effort between the auctioneers and the ring men that are at ringside. It's a whole team effort. One won't work with the without the other, and it takes a good team to have a great auction. Have you done this your entire life? Tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into the business, how long you've been into the business. Uh, I'm 58 years old, and uh, I grew up on a uh, cattle and uh, wheat operation out west of uh, Oklahoma City, a little town called Hinton, Oklahoma. You bet. No Hinton well. And uh, anyway... I, uh, I I was raised there, and at 18 years old, I hated high school. I uh, I couldn't stand school. I was always, during junior high and high school, I always had side projects of fitting cattle for people. I broke a lot of colts and stuff like that. And uh, anyway, long story short, I hated school so bad. Uh, probably shouldn't tell this, but I will anyway. I... I always wanted to be outdoors and working, and in school it just made my skin crawl. So I was a senior in high school, and uh, the superintendent was a good friend of ours, and and uh, I was gone all the time, clipping cattle and skipping school. And anyway, he pulled me into the office and he said, "Delvin," he said, "I've got uh, news for you." He said, "If you miss one more day of school," he said, uh, "I'm going to have to flunk." He said, "It's a state law," 
And I said, uh, okay. So from that day on, I never missed another day. I pushed the envelope as far as I could. And, and uh, I finished high school and I got out of high school. And I didn't know what I wanted to do for sure. It was always it's on my mind. The oil deal was really, really booming back then. Sure. I heard you could make, I heard you could make a lot of money welding and stuff like that. So I had that on my mind for a little bit. And uh, I've always loved the horse business. There was a uh, guy from Purcell, Oklahoma. His name was Jerry Wells. He was the number one halter horse guy in the, in the nation. And I always had it as a dream to maybe go, go to work for him. And, and uh, my dad kept telling me that, that, you know, there's no, you can't make a living by trading horses. And so uh, I never did that. But I had a second cousin, Ray Hilderman from Claremore. He, he uh, like I said, always flipped cattle and stuff. There was a guy named Larry Horn. He was an ag teacher at uh, Lokiba Sickles, right south of Hinton, and I did a lot of work for him. Ron Bailey, and we, we went around and clipped sale cattle and this and that. Well, this second cousin, he called one day, and he said that Ken Holloway with American Cattle Services was looking for somebody to uh, go on the road and, and clip and, and prep sale cattle. So a week after high school, I drove down there and met Ken Holloway, and uh, he uh, offered me a job, and I moved in uh, to live on the top of his house in, a, in an apartment deal in the house. But we were gone all the time. He had he had his own plane, and he had a partner named Bruce Brooks. And uh, I went to work for them at 18, and traveled all over the United States prepping sale cattle, and, and uh, that's that's how I got started. And I worked for him for two years. And so I was 20 at the time, and I've seen, uh, always seen these guys. I was always, uh, had crap all over me, and I was always <laughs> there after the sale, taking down the tent, loading out the cattle. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've seen, I seen these guys, I've seen, I seen all these guys, they'd blow in there two hours before the sale, and they would always had sport coats on and ties and the fanciest boots and the nicest hats, and and had the prettiest women with them and drove the nicest cars. And I said, I want to be one of them. And how do I do so, that? How do I do that? So I told, uh, I told uh, Ken what I wanted to do. And he, and he, being Ken, the Ken Holloway that he is, uh, well, let me back up a step. Bruce Brooks, he started hauling me around just a little bit to, Oh, like a little deal in New Mexico where they're selling a few club cabs or something. And he let me stand up there and work. And uh, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Well, being, being the Ken Holloway that he was, he uh, he got me an interview with Western Livestock Journal out of Denver, Colorado. Sure. Uh -huh. Advertising and work sales. And so I flew to Denver when I was 20 years old and I went to work for uh, Jerry York. He hired me that day. And uh, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it, uh, except that's what I wanted to do. So anyway, he hired me that day, and I came back home, and uh, I got uh, uh, everything I owned. Uh, I went and bought an 88 Delta Oldsmobile for some people out in West Texas, and I put everything I owned in it. There was a lot of room left over, and I drove to Fort Worth, and I moved in with Phil Stahl. Okay. And, uh, Phil Stahl, he taught me the, the basics, and... Uh, he got me started in the business, and, and uh, I've traveled Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, New Mexico for WLJ, and uh, 
that's how I got started. You had to sell an ad to go to go work a sale, uh-huh. and so I started selling advertising for them, and one thing led to the next. I love the story, Delvin, and something that I want our listeners to hear, especially our younger listeners who are who are kind of like what you said you were, you know, you were the guy with the blower and the clippers in his hand and, and dirty and sweaty at the end of the day, but you aspired to be something more than that one day. But what I heard in your story that we can't overlook is that you didn't just get to start at the top, you paid your dues and you worked your way to the top. And, um, I don't know it. I don't know anybody, Jake, that ever gets to start at the top. You, got, you, you always have to work your way to the top, no matter what you're doing. Success isn't an overnight thing, is it, Delvin? Not at all. I mean, the it, 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 you got you got to get after, it and you know what you want, and you got to stay the course. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if your story is like mine and like a lot of other people that I know, had you not been busting your butt. And, and working while you waited for your opportunity when you were preparing and, and cleaning up and, and fitting and working on sell cattle, had you not been a standout doing that, the Ken Holloways and the Bruce Brooks and the Western Livestock Journals maybe wouldn't have been as willing to take a chance on you without seeing the kind of effort and the kind of person you were. Is that fair to say? That's fair. Yeah, yeah I've always had a, I don't mean to brag, but I've always had a great work ethic. Yes, yes I have. Yeah, and I think that's what it all gets back to. And I just want our listeners to hear that. You know, it's easy to gloss over sometimes the grind and the hustle part of the equation and get right to the part where you were able to wear the nice hats and, and the boots and, and get to travel and, you know, and, and get a more prestigious job. But, you know, the, the ladder that you climb, that's not a step that you or I or anyone can, can skip. Nobody, nobody can skip it. If you if you skip it, you're not going to make it. You you've got to you've got to hit, hit every rung on the ladder. Yeah, and so tell us again. That was 1988. Did you say? Uh, that'd been 1982. 1982. So you're officially. I graduated from high school. I, I, yeah, I graduated from high school in 1980. So that'd have been in 1982. So in '82, you're 20 years old now, and you're you're kind of thrown in the deep end of the pool. Yes, sir. And some guys took you under their wing. Now, you correct me here if I've got my my memories not serving me correctly, but Ken Holloway was a sale manager primarily in the limousine cattle business. Is that right? Yes, mainly limousine cattle. And uh, back then there was there was lots and lots of limousine sales. I mean, we we stayed on the road year-round, and, I mean, we, we were busy. He had his own plane. And uh, we went border to border, coast to coast. And, I mean, it was seven days a week and uh, lots of hours every day. And Bruce Brooks would have been one of the leading limousine auctioneers of the time. Yes, him and Sonny Booth were the and leading, Booth. Two, two, two leading limousine auctioneers in the business. So timing has so much to do with, with what we become in life. But you got to enter the business in really kind of a hot time. I mean, you said earlier, like when you were graduating high school, you even looked at some opportunities in the oil field, but in your part of the world, Hinton, Oklahoma, central western Oklahoma, that oil field was booming pretty good then, and there was some cash and, and the cattle business. That was a pretty fun time, wasn't it? It was a great time. It was a great time, but uh, I was just so blessed to uh, to go to work for Ken, and and and, and with Ken, you, you, he, he was a he was the top of, of, 
in the business. And so he, I, I got to meet all the top people. I got to meet yeah. all the top breeders, all the top auctioneers, all the top ring men, all the top people in the auction business. And, and that's the key to this auction deal or whatever you're doing in life is you want to be around top people. And I don't mean none of this to brag, but I've been around top people since I was 18 years old. Yeah, and, and you know what? Let's let's dive into that just a little bit and the importance of it. And I'm going to tell you a guy that I follow on social media and on some other podcasts is a guy named Ken Coleman. And Ken wrote a book called The Proximity Principle. And it's geared to people that are maybe where you were then, but it talks about the importance of sitting at the winner's table, being in the right crowd of people, not, not in terms of popularity, but just being around people that are better than you, that can elevate you and can get you to where you want to go. And it sounds like, man, you had a tremendous opportunity to be exposed to some of the leaders and people at the forefront of the business. I, I, I had a tremendous opportunity. I mean, you go from Ken to Bruce, and I, I'd, be, I'd be leaving out hundreds of names, and I don't, oh, want, sure. I don't want to, I don't want, I've got, I've got jillions of top-notch friends in this business. I mean, top, top-notch. But I was so fortunate, like I said, I went to work for Phil, I went to work, Phil, I moved in with Phil Stahl, and he, he was a mainstay in the business and, and had worked probably as many sales as anybody. And I moved in with him to learn the ropes. And so then he introduces me to people down in, that's in the auction business in Texas. Uh -huh. And my timing, my timing was outstanding because uh, at Western Livestock Journal, there was a guy named Jay Nixon. He really believed in advertising in that thing. Well, he handled big, big accounts like King Ranch, oh, wow. stuff like that. So yeah. I got to go work some some really really nice big sales uh -huh. in an early early part of my career to get exposed to the you know the King Ranches the Brinks Brangus. Uh, there was another guy that that, came, that managed all the Brangus sales back then, and like I said, the, the oil and gas deal was booming back then. They, they had different tax laws, and the the Brangus deal. A guy named Sammy Pierce managed all of them. The Reuben and Burt Rest sold all of them. Uh, uh, Reuben, top top not auctioneer, and Sandy, a top top sale manager. Well, they managed all of them, and one of them, them brightest sales. We every time we'd have one, it gross a million dollars on thirty or forty lots of them. Wow! And and the big deal got to be uh, all, all the all them breeders got to see who could have the finest entertainment, this and that, and the other. And uh, I've been, I've, I've seen all of them. I, I seen George Strait one time in Riesel, Texas, down by Waco, and it's literally true. He started out with a Chevrolet pickup with his with his uh, band in the back. I, I seen him out in the middle of an oat patch before he was famous. You and thought George he, was cool before everybody else did. Oh yeah, and then there was a guy named Clayton Williams, a big oil and gas guy from Midland and Alpine. And yeah, he had big, big, big sales and. They'd gross millions, and he'd have big time entertainment, and 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 it's so hard to get to. We'd have to charter a plane to get out to it, and, and we'd charter a plane, and we'd go out there and work. And they they were big big deals, big big high exposure deals. And I was very very lucky to get hooked in with the right people to uh, to get exposed to all that. So at this point, Delvin, you're kind of off and running. And, and things are clicking for you. But now here's a question that I want to I dive in a little deeper on. So 
you always kind of wanted to be that guy. Now you have the chance to be that guy. Tell us once you got there, once you kind of arrived, tell us some of the realities of it. Is it everything you thought it would be? Was there more ups and downs than you thought it would be? Once you, you know, how do I want to say it? Once the honeymoon phase is over, okay, tell us about the life, really li living the life of an auction professional with, with all the travel and all the things involved. Once you got your beak wet and you're doing it full time and it kind of sank in, tell us what that was like. It, it, I can't, I don't have enough words to explain how great, great it is. It, it looks like a blast from the outside. Oh, it is a blast. And and I I feel so fortunate. And again, I'm not bragging, but I feel so fortunate. I found out exactly at 20 years old what I wanted to do. Wow. I mean, the, from the first time I did it, I decided this is for me. And I I, 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 I never looked back. I, I eat, drink, drink and slept, slept at 24-7. That's all I've ever thought about is working sales since I was 20 years old. I mean, I like it that much. I like it just as much today as I did back then. Uh, it's it, it fits my personality. I'm kind of a hyper person anyway. Every every auction's different, so it, it it just makes it more exciting. Every deal's different. The people are different at every auction. Da 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 da. But uh, it's uh, I. I couldn't have I couldn't have found anything. So I like I like that part of it. I, I couldn't have found anything that I'd like to do more than that. But with that said, it, it's 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 taken a lot of work. I mean, I I told you all the right people that I met, but there's still you you, you still had to pay your dues and, yeah. and uh, really really get after it. Like that first year with Western Livestock Journal, I worked fifty sales. Okay. Uh, the most sales I've ever worked is 275. Wow. Well, I, it'd be easier to, to tell you that it, it was easier to book the 275 than it was that first 50. Okay, so. That, that, that first, you, you, gotta, you just got to keep climbing the ladder, and one deal leads to the next, and you got to always you got to always stay after it or, or you get behind. But, but then first 50 sales now. I had, and I still have to scratch and claw. Don't get me wrong, but then first fifty sales now, Jake, they were hard to book. I mean, I, I, I had to call, I had to sell, and and I love selling advertising. But the main reason I like selling advertising is so I could go work the ring of sure. sale. But because uh, one end justifies the, the mean. But anyway, that that's that was uh, then first fifty was hard to book, and then it, then. You just stay after it year after year, day after day, and keep trying to improve your trade, and and you get more and more and more, and that and that's what I what I did. But it's it's the greatest business in the world. Uh, the pitfalls to it is uh, when you're gone all the time, you you miss a lot of stuff. I missed a lot of a lot of stuff with my family. I've missed a lot of baseball games. I've missed a lot of steer shows. I've missed a lot of weddings. I missed a lot of funerals of dear, dear friends of mine that I needed to be at, but it, it doesn't work that way. That is the pitfall of the business. The net, that's the only negative part of it besides the, you know, having to be on a plane every day and the incompetence of airlines and this and that and the other and the tight, tight schedules. But, you know, missing funerals and stuff like that. But here's the deal. The, the reason you've got to sell out to it, they're hiring 
Calvin Helderman or they're hiring Jake Scott. They're not they're not hiring somebody else to show up that day. And it's their only payday for the year, most people. So if they've got Delvin Helderman hired, they don't really care what you're missing. You need to be there to work for them. And that's, that, that's the only downfall of the business is you do miss out on a lot of very important stuff. Yeah, that, that's a good thing for people to hear and understand is that that is for a lot of people, uh, like so many of us in ag, you got one payday a year, maybe two paydays a year. Yep. You have your bull sale, your female sale, or ever how it works, and and that's the day. And everybody not only has to show up, but they got to be firing on all eight cylinders, and and it's got to count, you know, because yep. uh, if you stub yep. your toe this year, there might not be a next year. Exactly. And yep. um, and here's the deal: you, you've got when you're when when you're in a professional business, you've got to show up with with a clear mind. You got to have your head in the game, working for that guy. That day, you, you don't need to have your mind on on what's going on at home or what this and that. Your mind better be on on doing your job. Amen to that. And I want to back up just a little bit. And you said something that I wrote down here and, and underlined. But you talked about the selling part of the business. You know, you had to sell the ads, and especially early on. You know, in your twenties, you're you're hustling and grinding and, and trying to make a name for yourself. And so you're selling ads. You got to do fifty sales that first year. But then that grew to 275, and you said, you know, the selling the ads part maybe you didn't love, but that's what you had to do to get to the sale. And what I wrote down is you you do what you have to do in order to get what to get to do what you want to do. And I stumbled when I said that. You do what you have to do in order to get to do what you want to do. And I love how you said that and how you tied that together because I don't think it matters is if you're in the auction business or whatever business you, that you're in, there's going to be a part of your job that you don't wake up all pumped up about. I mean, that's just well, natural reality, but there's the part of it you love that really keeps you motivated, inspired, and you're willing to grind and, and gut out the other stuff to get to do what you want to do. Yeah, and, and that's what I used to do. See, I don't sell any advertising anymore and, and have it many, many years. I, I work just strictly now for for a fee. I don't... I don't uh, I haven't sold any ads in years and years and years, but but to sell it, and I'm not knocking selling ads. Don't get me wrong; it's still a great occupation, and and, and we'll get into it in a little bit. The young, young people get started. That that's how you get started in this thing is go to work for a publication. But uh, I haven't, I haven't sold any ads in years. I, I'm just a hired hired ringman now. But uh, it's no different, uh, Jake, really than. Uh, uh, going out and feeding your show animal every morning. It's not a lot of fun some days, but it's part of the grind, so you get to leave the thing in there and Denver. Yeah, yeah, that's the fun part of it. you got to go fix the fence, you know, you got to go dig the ditch, you got to do the stuff you don't want to do in order to get to do the things you do want to do. Exactly. So you, you touched on it. Let's just jump off into that, though. So let's say there's a, a young 20-year-old Delvin Helderman listening right now that says, man, I, that's who I want to be. I want to be that guy. Your recommendation I, 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 is... is Jack, Jake, let's back up for once. I think the bottom line in what we were trying to say a while ago, uh, selling the ads and all of that, you know, bottom line is everything comes with a price. And, and you got to pay that price to get to do what you want to do and be good at what you do. you got to pay sense? the price. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry about that. No, that that was well worth it, and I agree with what you're saying. What I wanted to ask you, Delvin, is 
um, just to clarify, you know, if somebody wants to get in the business, a youngster that's coming out of high school in your case, or maybe they've went to two or four years of college and they think this is the life for me, that's what I want to give, give I want to give this a shot, I want to try and be that, is that your best advice for them to maybe first get started with a, um, an industry publication or a breed publication and get their yes. feet wet that way? Yes, I think that's the best way to do it. Get start get started with a with a deal where you sell advertising and you go you go work. Other than that, the only way to get started is you, is you just gotta go fill in for somebody uh, like 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 a the weekly livestock reporter or some magazine like that that's got multiple sales on a weekend and they send other ringmen to them. Yeah. You can go you can go work and fill in. But I think the best way is to, to go to work for a for a livestock magazine and learn to sell and learn to be around the people and and uh, you know get a, get a paycheck while you're working there and uh, um, get, just get the get the basics get the ground floor basics covered and and then then surround yourself with the right people that are doing well in the business and and pick their brains and learn from them and and uh, just go from there. I think that's the best, best and only way to really get started. Well, like you said, it doesn't hurt to have a mentor and somebody that would take you under their wing kind of the way like Ken Holloway and, and Bruce Brooks and Phil Stahl did for you, you know, and, and kind of helped show you the ropes and the rights and the wrongs. Exactly. Yeah. But listen, just because you, you know, all right, you get your job and you take off and you're doing some sales, it's like everything else. It's an acquired skill, I assume. And so, you know, now, like you said, you're just a full-time professional ring man. You don't do any ad sales or anything. Um, how long does it really take someone? What, what should they expect? And everyone has a different level of aptitude and ability. But generally speaking, you know, from the time you really got into it when you were 20, how long did it take you till, and I don't, I'm not trying to, to make this sound arrogant, but humbly till you could say, hey, I, this is clicking, I'm pretty good, I, I get it, I'm in the game, I, I think I'm one of the better guys here. How long was that road? How long was that journey? Oh, I think in the first, I, I, I'm not ever going to say in the first year or two that I was one of the better guys there, but in the first year or two, you, I sure had the, base, the right basics down uh -huh. to, to, to improve off of that. And that, that's the key to this thing is getting, getting surrounded by the right people, the right mentors, and learning learning the basics and learning to, how to do it right and how to do it wrong. Don't don't mean don't mean this disrespectful. I've known people that's done it for forty years that aren't very good at it. Mm -hmm. I've known other I've known other people that's done it for two years that are outstanding. Mm -hmm. It just every, everybody's different, no different, and some people's better than at fitting a calf than others, and some people are better at playing basketball. Than mm -hmm. Same way with the ringman and auctioneer business. Mm -hmm. but if, you, if you've if got the talent and you surround yourself with the right people, you, you better be catching on in that first year. You better you better know what's going on, and you, you ought to be able to get better every day forward from then on. I tell you the secret to it, Jay. It, it's like anything. It's no different. And I keep um, uh, using this uh, – analogy of, of, of fitting cattle and I, I'm probably doing too much of that but it the more you the more you do of it the better you get mm -hmm. working sales is identical to that if you if you don't work many sales you're probably not ever going to be very good at it mm -hmm. better you get is the more more sales you work and you, I'm still honing my skills after 38 years I try to learn something 
every day, every time I work, I try to, to learn and get better. And, Absolutely. And, uh, and, 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 and that don't happen if, if you don't work many sales. The, the key to being good at it is doing it and doing lots of it. Getting a lot of reps. It's just like being in the gym. That's how you get stronger. That's how you get better, faster, yeah. bigger. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I like to tell these young guys, you know, that the, the greatest thing that ever happened to you is go, go work at this, which it's not possible, but to go work at dispersal every other day that lasts eight or ten hours. Get in there and get some reps and get, you know, get some work in, and that's what, that's what will help you. Get some hours under your belt and just a lot of yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, this is a cattle-oriented podcast, and I know a lot of your business comes in in form of cattle sales. But like my family and I, if we're going to turn on the TV at night, one of the things that we like to look at is like the Meekum car auctions. And uh, you know, my father-in-law Eldon, he loves going to a farm or an equipment auction or like Ritchie Brothers or something. Um, so, and I mean, every week there's a real estate auction somewhere, but. Are you primarily just cattle sales, or do you branch out into like some of the equipment and real estate and car stuff as well? Uh, I, I mainly now, not, mainly now, I do uh, horses and uh, hor- mainly mainly cattle in this order: cattle, real estate, and horses. Okay. Uh, but back back in the day when I when I had the, when I did two hundred seventy five sales. Uh, I used to work. Uh, I used to work all the thoroughbred sales, like down at Keeneland uh, in Kentucky. There, where they sell all the high-dollar thoroughbreds, and that was thirty some days a year. And then I did all the all the standard bread sales, like in Kentucky and Pennsylvania and Ohio. I did. I did them. I did them at the same time. And then back then, I did a lot of cattle sales still. And then. I also did three car sales a week back then. Oh, okay. And, uh-huh. and, and anyway, so that's what I did back then. Now, now it's changed a little bit. Uh, that year, I did two seventy five. My kid, my boys. I've got twin boys. They're twenty six now. They were about oh. three years old, and I got a daughter that was about six. Uh-huh. And uh, my life, my life was. It was just so fast that. That I had to give something up because my kids, I was, I was never home and da 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 da. I, I just had too much. So what I did was I quit, uh, I quit the thoroughbred sales and I quit the standard bread sales, and I kept the car sales for a while because they were local. And I gave them up, and that, that gave me a little more time at home. And then I've always done a lot of the cattle. And then the cattle, but what I did then when I quit them, I got into the real estate auction business for a guy named Tommy. Tommy Williams and his son Dean, twenty some years ago. Oh, okay. And I fo- I focused on that real estate deal with them instead of them horse sales, and and uh, the next thing you know, I I uh, I quit the three car sales a week, and and now I'm now I mainly do. And, and back then, I worked one equipment auction a, a month at Howe, Texas, called Southwest Auction. Mm-hmm. And so. Anyway, I give some of that stuff up to be home a little more and kind of fine tune and focus on that real estate, and my cattle. And since then, I, I, uh, I've done, I do mainly cattle, a lot of real estate. The real estate deal was really crazy um, back in the foreclosure, the HUD, HUD deal, and all that. Oh, sure, I didn't think about that. Uh, we we had a deal with uh, Williams and Williams. They had about ten or fifteen auction teams. Uh-huh. 
and we scattered out all over the United States for a week or 10 days every oh, wow. month. And uh, one month, we sold 3,000 houses. Mm. So mm. we were busy and, and, and uh, traveled all over to, uh, I mean, I've been, I've been to every state in, in, the, in the union except the Alaska and Hawaii having, having sales. And anyway, I, I really focused on that. That was very, very good for a while. It's, it's slowed up some now. But uh, that, that's what I that's what I slowed up to do. So I've been to a lot of cattle sales, Delvin. But tell me, other than there's an, an auctioneer and a set of ringmen at every auction, I assume, what are some of the differences, if any, that uh, a person might not be aware of between like where you work in the cattle and the real estate and the horses? Is it all pretty much the same animal, so to speak, or are there some differences in the way the auctions run between those three? They're, they're a little bit different. Uh, most of the real estate sales I go to, uh, a lot of times I may be the only ringman there instead oh, uh -huh. of having, having four. Uh, a lot of the bigger real estate auctions will have two guys there, uh, so that's a little bit different. Uh, the mechanics work pretty much the same way. Uh, the, the difference in the horse deal compared to the cattle is uh, the horse, horse, they sell horses at a lot slower pace. Mm. That they, they, they give more talks and this and that, where where you, you can get into one of these bull sales and set, sell 70, 80, 100 bulls an hour. Uh, you know, a, a horse sale, a, a fast horse sales 40, 40 head an hour, and, and a lot of them are 20, 25. What about crowd size? I would imagine the horses draw a big audience. Is that right? Uh, they, some, it's, it, it varies. Some are big. Some are bigger than cattle, and sometimes the cattle deal is bigger, bigger than the horse sales. It just depends on where you're at, how much interest there is. And what about the real estate? Uh, usually, nice crowds, but you know that's usually why you only have one or two rings. Sure. Usually, usually the crowds are quite a bit smaller at them. Yeah. Which, which I've been to some real estate sales. There's always an exception. I've been to some real estate sales where there's two, three, four hundred people there, but but not not on an average. So I, I'm a, I, I like to be a student and try and understand auctions a little better. And and obviously in our own operation, Delvin, which you've come up, we've been fortunate to have you help us before at some sales. But we use live auctions to merchandise the majority of our cattle. And, you know, when you see live auctions utilized uh, across so many different species and types of equipment, there's a reason that auction is so popular. So can you explain a little bit why, in your opinion, auction is the best way to market? Because, look, we live in a world now where, you know, you throw something on Facebook or you have an Internet. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to sell something. Why is auction the best way? The reason auction is the best way it, it, because it's in live time and it, and it creates competitive bidding at that moment mm. where people's got to make up their mind and and there's a lot of moving parts in it. Uh, for instance, a guy is at an auction and he likes this animal, but he just doesn't have quite enough confidence to really think, well, how, how good is that thing really? Well, he sees, he sees somebody that he really, really respects across across the sale barn bidding on it. It gives him confidence just to go ahead and do what he thought was right okay. to start with. So that kind of feeds off each other. Well, it does, and and, and sometimes egos feed off of it. Uh, they, they, one guy decides, I'm not going to let that guy have it because I want it, yet, and they just drive the price. <laughs> yeah, you know I've I'm seen saying? that. Yeah, of and course. Then, and then I'll tell you, 
then, but I'll tell you just a real simple deal to what, and it's, it's really, really simple, but because the reason they work so well, I was in Pikes, Texas the other day, and I forget the acreage, it doesn't matter. There was this little sand dune deal there on the outside of Pikes, covered with tumbleweeds, I just, I think it was 10, 15 acres. I wouldn't have give you, I wouldn't have give you 25,000 for it. I think that I think the seller wanted fifty or seventy-five thousand for it. Okay, uh-huh. so we fire up. There's two people there, and I think this thing is going to be a train wreck. I don't even know how we're going to get this sold. Anyway, there's two people there. There was a guy, guy there that owned the feed store that backed up to this property. Come to find out, there was another guy there that owned some property on the other side of this property. And I'm telling you, Jay, this was. You wouldn't have had it if, I, if you had to pay the taxes. Oh, that's, that's, it's, that's it's rough. I, I've got a picture in my yeah, head. I, I, it, oh, it was rough. Wind going 40 mile an hour, 105 degrees. It was miserable. We cracked off on this thing. Two people there, it brings 160000 Yeah. Jeez. That's why, that's why you have a live auction. That's why you have a live auction. And, you know, the value that someone has in their mind, you know, like you said, the guy that his property backed up to it, that he that had a lot more value to him, I'm sure, than you or I, obviously. But until you have an auction and, and until you have a chance for that, I guess the term is price discovery, I've heard, but you, you, you let that happen, then you don't know. And I think about like when we're selling our cattle, you know, I could put a value on it to what I think it's worth. But I may be way low, or I may be way high, you know. And I, I like, from a personal standpoint, auction is a, I think, the fairest way to get an appraisal of whatever it is you're selling. That's you're exactly right. That's what I was just fixing to say. You go out here and you say, you go out here and price your ranch private treaty, and you put up a for sale sign. You're just guessing what that thing is worth. You get you get all the neighbors in here to fight over it. And uh, it's a different outcome, and and it might be less than what yeah. you was thinking. Yeah. But it's the, it's it, but it's the real market. Yeah. Now that's that. And, I think and, it's a great no, way to describe no, it. And no different what you said, pricing the set of cattle private treaty. You're just guessing at what you think they're worth, and for all you know, you're two hundred too high or, or four hundred too cheap. Too cheap. There's no way of knowing till you till you have an auction. Yeah. You know. And, you, and, the, you, and, the, and the competitive bidding is what. You, what changes all of that? That's the key, isn't it? The competitive bidding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, and, and, that's and, the, and, the, and the live competitive bidding compared to online only. Something that I like, and and Delvin, we've been guilty of this, and I'll give you a little behind the scenes baseball as to what happens um, in our operation. But we're lucky in one regard to have a very good private treaty market for our female sales. So be it commercial sales or be it registered sales, we can sell you know fairly large groups of these females when we're ready to sell some, and it seems like we've had good luck finding buyers just on a private treaty basis. And you think to yourself, well, that's great. I don't have to have a catalog. I don't have to take the pictures. I don't have to do the sale expense and the party and all that stuff. And in, and in one side of the equation, that's true. But there's another side of the equation where a private treaty isn't as an attractive of a, of a way of doing it, and that is public recognition. And I don't know if I'm saying this right, and you can explain it better, but there's something that happens 
when you sit there and you sell an animal in front of the whole wide world for a certain value, or you sit there in front of the whole wide world and you buy an animal for a certain value, there's a value to that advertising and exposure and recognition that a buyer or a seller receives in an auction that you don't in private treaty sales. Do you agree? I agree a thousand percent, Jake. Here's the deal, Jake. You could sell a bull private treaty at Krebs Ranch today for $200,000, okay? And, and you could sell that bull in auction for 200000 a day, and I promise you by nightfall, everybody in the business will know that Krebs sold a bull today for 200000 Everybody will know who the buyer is. So when so that so whenever you try to sell the next bull for two hundred thousand, that's going to help you. And the guy that bought the bull or the female for two hundred thousand, all he did was help help set up the semen market, embryo market, uh, the whole deal right, right from that one setting. Yeah, there's <clears throat> what you said, Delvin. I totally agree with because you can't buy enough ads in a paper or magazine to create the same value you get from word of mouth advertising. And when the when the buzz is going through the business, you know what I mean? When the chatter is going through the business about like you said that bull or that auction or that sale, it's just you can't recreate that and it's organic. It happens naturally and it's the most authentic kind of advertising. And I I, I totally totally believe what you're saying. Well, and I'll tell you another thing that 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 also helps help helps you as a, as a seller when you auction that bull for two hundred thousand up there today, and you've got two hundred more following. You just help you just help set the hook on on them cattle, bring a lot more money too. You put you put a value on some of those others. That's a good point. You, you, you help the value a lot. Fact of the matter is, though, you're a fan of auctions. I'm a fan of auctions, but this livestock marketing on the internet has taken off like gangbusters in the last ten years. And hey, Jake, my earbuds are about to go down. Oh, on the phone. yeah, no problem. Hold on. Yep. Okay. This may be, this may mean that we're a little too long winded. I don't know if we killed the batteries in your earbuds. No, we're good. <laughs> so are you can good you to go now? now? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can still hear you fine, Delvin. Okay, perfect. So, I'm ready now. So what I was saying is that in the last 10 years, you know, although you and I are big fans of a live auction method, internet marketing for livestock especially has really taken off and gotten a foothold and a lot of people are doing it. And I think it's attractive to some, particularly maybe some smaller operations or smaller offerings because it's it's pretty low overhead. It's a little less intimidating, you know, a little simpler maybe to pull together. What are some of the pros and cons that you see to this internet auction world that we live in? Well, first let me say I have nothing against the internet auction business. Uh, I think it's a great tool to, to that and superior, the phone deal and all that. I think it's a great tool to, to, to have with a live auction. You follow me? You I, would, I, wouldn't ha- I wouldn't have a live auction without having... Uh, one of them other tools there also as a backup. It up a, well, it opens up a whole whole, whole no, another revenue stream for people that can't travel or this and that and the other. So uh-huh. It's a great tool. So I'm not here to bash bash that business at all. But the thing that I think I've noticed, and I'm no internet expert, I'm not even uh, that tech savvy or any of that. But the thing that I think I've noticed the last year or two is 
they they have no truck and, and I agree with the, the part about the smaller breeder and all of that that's got 10 pet to sell or 15 that can't have their own auction uh, I think it is I think it is the way to go for them. the the thing that I've noticed in my opinion the last year or two is it looks to me like they're not having any trouble getting getting the really good ones sold the middle and the bottom quality are are, are, are off quite a bit mm. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's uh, and and you know even in an auction, those are the easiest ones to sell. Are the really good ones, but an auction probably supports a or more conducive to getting the middle and the the other end of them sold a little better than maybe the internet is. I, I think it does by a bunch because I think the guy that's there and he gets blown out on the really really top oh, end. And uh-huh. he, and he, well, and he kind of come to buy some cows that day. He's got uh-huh. got some extra gr- grass. Well, he gets to looking at that middle. And gets the thinking, you know, by God, them things are them things are cheap enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a few of them while I'm here. Yeah, and that makes sense. He's not going, he's not probably gonna get in that mood if he's looking at a computer. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense. So, well, you know, when we started this interview, uh, one of the things you told us early on is uh, at your peak, you were doing like 275 sales in a year, or, or that was your largest year. Um, we're recording this in August, like we said. People will listen to this at all different times, but I would imagine that fall is your busy sale season. Is that busier than the spring for you? Yeah, Jake, it is. I, uh, I've always, for some reason, and I don't know how it ended up this way, I've always had very, very good springs, uh-huh. done, done well in springs, but my falls, my falls have always been outstanding. I never really got hooked up. I'm not using this as an excuse. It just is what it is. I I never really got hooked in, uh, and I don't know whether I was too busy down here or or maybe they just didn't want to hire me. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I never really got hooked into them northern bull sales, you know, where mm-hmm. they have one every other day or something like that. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of bull sales in the spring, mm-hmm. but it's not like I do one every other day like, like Joe Goggins and some of them guys. Mm-hmm. Do. I've never got hooked into that northern big northern run, and there's not as many – sales down here as there is up north and I've always done the ones down here so um, my fall my fall's always been better than my springs for, for sure give us an idea if you don't mind Delvin how many sales will you attend this fall will you be working at oh this fall ah, probably 75 wow it'll be a busy fall yeah it'll be good it'll yeah. be I've got an excellent fall lined up like this fall what breed will you sell the most of I'll probably do more Angus than anything, but I've been very blessed. I've always, I've always tried to stay very, very diversified. So I work a lot of different stuff, and, and always plan to do that. I don't ever want to get all my eggs in one basket, but I, I would certainly work more Angus sales than, than any, any other breed. Well, look, I'm gonna, admittedly here, I'm gonna get a little nosy on you, okay? If you don't mind, and slap my hand if you do. But I know that in 38 years of being in this business. You got to have some killer stories to tell. <laughs> I mean, just the the experiences you've had, the the things you've seen, the animals you've seen. Is there an animal that you can remember? Like, let's say this: What's the highest price animal you can ever remember being a part of selling? I uh, I worked at. I, I think this is right. I've slept since then, but I I, I think this is spot on. Years ago, 20-some years ago, back when I was working at Thoroughbred Sale in Keeneland, uh, 
there was a guy named Gene Klein. He was a uh, he was big, big, big time in the thoroughbred business. He used to own the San Diego Chargers uh, uh, football team. Oh, how cool! Well, he he sold the football team. He 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 made he made money in a lot of different stuff. The car business to start with, and then bought a football team and all that. He was a I never knew him well, but he was a crusty, hard driving guy. He he was a he was a type A plus is what he was. And anyway, he got in the thoroughbred horse business, and he hired the greatest trainer in the in the nation. One of my heroes, B. Wayne Lucas, uh-huh. managed all of his horses, and I mean they they kicked some serious butt. Well, anyway, he got in bad health, and we dispersed his horses, oh, 20-some years ago down there, called the Eugene Klein Dispersal. And we sold 114 head of horses and grossed $30 million. I think the top horse we sold that day was a filly named Open Mind for like 4.6. And then there was a, there was a great mare in there that named Winning Colors that won the Derby, and she brought four, like 4.1. And then there, there was another big-time horse of the year in there called Lady Secret, another gray mare. And I forget exactly what she she brought, three or four million, something like that. I think I think that was the I think that was the highest grossing deal I've ever done as far as horses go. Uh, I'll tell you another. I'll tell you another uh, a cattle deal if you got time to hear about it. I want to uh, hear about it. In talking about how lucky I was and and to get hooked up with the right people and, and the right exposure and how blessed I was when I first got started in my early twenties, uh, that Brangus deal was going strong. And, uh, there was a ranch down there called Brinks, Brinks, Brangus. I remember a, Brinks. A, yeah. It was at Sisterdale, Texas. And okay. Kind of, they were kind of in a league of their own, uh, Vern soon. That's in Kansas. Uh-huh. Now, you bet. Over her. Uh-huh. Vern, Vern worked for him. He was the ranch manager and they were the gurus of the, uh, of the, uh, Brangus business. We had a bull sale down there in the early '80s, and we sold a hundred bulls and averaged sixty thousand. Do you remember the top seller on that sale? We saw, I don't remember the bull's name, but we sold a yearling bull, and he brought either eight twenty-five or eight seventy-five. And about what time was this? Oh, the eighty-three, eighty-four, probably. Gosh, let's bring those times back again. What do you say? I'm all about it. I'm ready. <laughs> I'd be ready for that too. That sounds pretty could, good. That'd be great. Yeah, isn't it funny how those breeds? It seems like popularity will kind of move from one breed to another. Like you'll see when you started, you said the limousine thing was red hot, and then it sounds like you were pretty actively involved in the Brangus sales too. But isn't it funny how it seems like people will get hot on on one breed, and it really attracts a lot of investor money and Man, it's it just goes like gangbusters for a while. Well, it, it kind of go it kind of goes back, and I'm not trying to compare my deal to that, but it, a little bit it go. It's kind of like the first fifty sales I I worked. Once you get the ball rolling, then breeds. Once they get the ball rolling and they get that investor money in there, they snowball. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a magnet, and it draws more and more people into it. And you get some momentum, and it really gets rolling. Just, no, no different than taking a show goal out and you start, you win two or three shows with him. It's a lot easier to win the fourth one than the first one. Yeah. You know, you're, you're telling stories here and, and I would, uh, I would regret it if we didn't share a story that you and I kind of had together one time. 
Um, we were talking about good times in these different breeds. I was really, really fortunate to land in the Angus business um, in the uh, 2000s there in a time where like Oklahoma and Texas was really hot. There's some really, really awesome Angus firms down there. I worked for one called Rolling R3 Ranch and at the time, my wife and I had just gotten married, and of course, her mom and dad, Eldon and Louisa, where we where we work now, they were in business, and we did business back and forth, right? Krebs is with us, and, and R3 with Krebs's, and um, Krebs's was going to have one of their sales, and we were going to come up to it. Well, as it worked out, you were going to come up to it, and we got this idea together. We'd charter a plane, and we'd all ride together. Do you remember this? Oh, yes. I'll, I'll never forget it, Jake. <laughs> I don't know if I... And I'm sorry I'm laughing before I even start telling the story. Jake, Jake, I'm not over to this, Jake. <laughs> Do you want to tell this story? I think it'd be better coming from you. Well, I can sure remember it. I promise you that. I haven't forgot any detail. I, I still wake up in the middle of the night thinking of this one. You tell your version, and I'll see if we match up. All right. Well, back up a step... I've came up to Gordon, Nebraska, and worked, worked a lot at Krebs sales. And uh, bottom line is, I've never been into Gordon, Nebraska yet without getting in some kind of a traveling train wreck. <laughs> We're I not known for our weather, I, okay? I come in up there, there's a blizzard blows in or something. I remember the year before <laughs> this happened to us, Eddie Sims had a jet chartered, and I rode up there with him. And the weather got so bad there in, uh, in Gordon that we couldn't fly out of Gordon, so we... Had it, had the pilot go to Chadron after yeah. the sale because we had expresses sale the next day. Yeah, and Eddie Sims and I go to Chadron, and that, that it's snowing like a, it's snowing like crazy. And we flew out of Chadron with that jet, and that the front wheel of that jet was going through two and three foot snow. Oh jets. no, busting through them, just skating all over the over the runway. Yeah. And anyway, we got out of Chadron all right. And then we got down around Wichita, Kansas, trying to get to Express, and the weather got so bad, we had to set it down and have Matt, Matt Sims come pick us up and, and haul us down to, to Express his sale the next day. But So then then, then, we, then move on to your deal. Yeah, we decided we was going to charter up there because it's really the only way to get up there and for me to get back. I think I was coming back to Express again. Yeah, we had a time and, crunch. Uh, we were trying to get back for yeah, it. We, we were in a time crunch. So we get in there, and everything's fine. We fly out of Wiley Post here in Oklahoma City. Everything's great. And, heck, we get up there, and it gets a little choppy. And I remember that pilot turned around. I remember like it was yesterday. That pilot turns around, and he's like, uh, hey, guys. He said, I don't think we can get into Gordon's high winds. And we said, hey, we got all day to get there. Where, where can we go? And he said, uh, I, I said, I think we can go in, have to go into North Platte. Whatever's safest, just take us in a North Platte. We, we've got all day. So me and Cammy and Cammy and I and Jay, we, we just uh, we just sat back there visiting, and it kept getting a little rougher and rougher. And next thing I know, I look out the window. Well, I'd been there before, and I'm like, that's Gordon, Nebraska. What the heck are we doing here? <laughs> and so We have sailed past North Platte. Yeah, we just went past North Platte. I mean, it's getting really rough. So... I turned around and I said, I thought we was going into North Platte. He, he said, no. He said, I think we can get in here. I said, oh, okay. So he goes to land this airplane. Now, if, I, if I'm if i lying, you, you you correct me. I'll vouch for it. This I, is, this is going to be no exaggeration. I had my back. I It was it was a coat 
uh, coast seat. So I had my I had my back to the pilot. I was I was butted up against the pilot. I was looking straight back at Jay, and Cammy was to my left. They were facing forward, and we we start in there, and this plane starts belly flopping i mean it goes from one side about turns over to the other side and then it turns sideways three or four times mm-hmm. and we're starting to get low and i look like at jake and his eyes as big as saucers this and is true we look and so, and we finally think and i'm sitting there thinking you know am i I going to fly in here and just get slattered all over this asphalt or am I going to do something about it? And about that time I turned around and started screaming at this pilot. And when I did, Jake, the only quiet one, I don't think she was that scared was, was Cammy. But anyway, we, uh, we started screaming at this pilot and I mean, we, we were screaming up at the top of our lungs. And at this point in the flight, Delvin, at this point in the flight, we are almost touching the ground. But it feels like the first thing that's going to touch is one of the wings. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're about on the ground, and, and I scream. I start screaming, and we start screaming, pull this thing up. And so, anyway, he turns around and says, settle down, and we're like, we're, you pull this up and pull it up now. So he pulls it up. And we start. We kept screaming at him. He said, "What? What was you doing trying to get us killed?" He said, "No." He said, "I thought I thought we could land there." He said, "I said, well, why wouldn't we land into the wind?" He said, "I think the runway's too short." Yeah, the, the said, crosswind well, think, runway was too short for that size plane. Yeah, and I said, "Well, let's try it." <laughs> and we landed into the north wind, and that plane landed, and it didn't go an eighth of a eighth of the runway, and that plane completely stopped. That wind was blowing so hard. It was blowing so hard that we had to, do you remember when we got out, we had to hold the plane still because the wind kept blowing it away just from the parking oh, lot. Hey, and it, hey, and it wasn't no little plane. It was a big, nice yeah. six-seater twin. It wasn't like it's some prop duster. Yeah, it, it was, was a nice big, plane. nice airplane. That was probably as close as I've ever come to dying on an airplane. And I don't know how close we were, but that's the closest for me. That, I'm telling you, we were, we, we, if we wouldn't have done that, we were dead. I'll tell you that. I'll bet my life on that. It scared me so bad, I'm still not over it to this day. <laughs> and here's the rest of the story. When we got to the, uh, uh, thankfully, we did make it on the ground. And so we're in Gordon, Nebraska. And we find out that the pilot wasn't able to get a good, accurate weather report because our airport's so small. So he was taken by surprise, I think a little bit by the wind. But the wind was so bad, they had even shut down the highways. It was blowing semis over. It was blowing semis over, and we landed an airplane in it. In a crosswind. <laughs> but it all worked out, and they had a good sail, and we made it back home safely. Flew back home with him the next night. That's yeah. how smart we were. <laughs> <laughs> but I can, uh, I can remember when we walked into the office, um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law were just shocked to see us. They said, we assumed that you didn't leave and they couldn't believe that we'd even flown up, but we were already in the air. They were trying to call us to tell us not to leave because the winds were getting so bad and just, just stay home. But we never got that message. No, we didn't. Oh, we that's a fun story. Kamikaze pilot that didn't get it either. <laughs> no, he didn't get that either. But he got us on the ground to his credit. I tell, I tell you what, Jake, it did something to me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. I'm not over it to this day. I can be in a big airliner and it gets a little rough, 
I get nervous as heck. Is that right? It, it stuck it, with you. It, 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 it stuck. It, I'll never get over it. That's that's how close we come to dying. That was a good one. That was a wild ride. Well, those are fun stories, and I know you got a thousand of them. We're not going to keep you here all day. As we wrap up, though, I mean, let's tell these guys a little bit, too. You know, all work and no play. What do they say? That makes Jack a dull boy. What do you like to do when you're not in the heat of sale season or, or at, at an auction? How do you let your hair down and have a little fun? Well, I hate to be boring, but I'm, I, I'm not much of a hobby guy. I, I don't have I don't have any hobbies. I, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. But uh, my kids, what I, what I always love to do, which my kids are grown, what I used to do to let my hair down is that, that we show steers and horses, and, and my boys played high-level baseball, so we traveled oh, all over the yeah. country with that. So, so that's what I used to do. But uh, now I just... Uh, Try to spend some time with my family, and uh, I mess with a few thoroughbred race horses. I I dabble in that some. So in, in the off time, I try to go to as many races and stuff as I can, and I follow that. And, and uh, anyway, I mess with a few race horses. And then then the other deal that I do is, is uh, I try to sell, sell trade some ranches around privately, sell some ranches around uh, you know private treaty or or find them for auction or whatever. You bet. I've got a, I've got a, I've got an acreage here at Sulphur that uh, there's a lot of upkeep and lots of mowing and all that. It keep it keeps me pretty busy also. But I'm not a golfer. I don't go to the lake. I just, I just pretty much stay on focus on try to book more sales and and go to a few horse races and spend time with my family. I'm I'm a pretty pretty boring guy, really. That doesn't sound boring to me at all, Delvin. That sounds pretty cool, pretty cool, but. We're going to wrap this thing up, and as always, Delvin, we got kind of a fun part of the podcast that we do with each of our guests, and we call it Stock Shows and Burritos. And this is a part where we let our hair down a little bit, and if you know us very well, you know my family very well, we are foodies. I mean, when we're going to do something fun, it revolves around a meal. We're going to get in the kitchen, we're going to get around the grill. We enjoy eating and socializing, and and that's just a big part of who we are. So in all your travels, now you've told us about some of your favorite livestock events, and and jump in if you've got others, but in all your travels, I know you've got to eat at some of the best restaurants in this great country. Tell us about one of your favorites so that when we're traveling, if we ever run into it, we can say, hey, that's the one Delvin recommended. All right. Well, there's there's several, but I'm, I'm I hate to admit this, but I'm kind of known as a food snob in the business. <laughs> I, I, I I don't mean this bragging, but I've I've been about everywhere, and uh, I've got a deal. I learned this from an auctioneer friend of mine in Texas. When I really find a really really good place, I put it in my phone, and oh, okay. uh, I I have people call me all the time. that's in the business and say, "Hey, I'm in South Carolina in this town. Where do I eat here?" And I, I usually know a spot. So I'm, I, I study restaurant. I try to study restaurants about as much as I do booking sales. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the go-to guy. Like if we're somewhere, I'm, I'm okay. I'm the guy that'll, I'm the guy that'll drive fifty mile out of his way to eat somewhere. I love it. Yes. But uh, oh, there's there's some what. Let me let me back up a step. One thing that I don't eat a lot of, unless it's just excellent, and, and this is no knock on anybody, it's just a trick of the trade. It, it'll add a little humor to our deal. But try not to eat much barbecue. Back in the back in the old days in the auction business, everybody <laughs> every everybody that has a sale, they think they're the best barbecue 
uh, cooks in, in America, and most of them don't know how to cook any of it. I'm, we, us, us people, in, us guys in the auction business, we've eaten more, we've eaten more bad barbecue than, 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 than the law would allow. You can write a book on greasy, bad barbecue. Greasy, bad, fat stuff, you name it, we've had it. So we try to stay clear of barbecue, but uh, but uh, I, uh, I've got probably 150 of them uh, uh, restaurants in my phone, and uh, like if I go to, here's a place I'll drive 50 mile out of my way to eat. I go to Stroud's in Kansas City. And uh, then another favorite is Scotch and Sirloin in Wichita. Oh, I've never been there. You've never been there? I've never been to that one. I'm putting that on my list. Yeah, Scotch and Sirloin in Wichita. And then all the prime places, like Ruth Chris is probably my favorite prime place. That's great, isn't it? I'm I'm a big Ruth Chris fan. And uh, like... uh, Oh, like in Fort Worth, there's a great place called the Silver Fox, a steakhouse down by the down by the uh, fairgrounds there called the Silver Fox. I eat there a lot. It's coffee, copied off out of a place, same owner used to be that started Three Forks over in Dallas. Oh, yeah, you bet. Three Heard of that. Is a great place. And then like for Mexican food, there's all kinds of good Mexican places. But one of my favorites, it's a, it's a chain, is Uncle Julio's. And, and it started down there, I think, in Fort Worth. And and uh, Uncle Julio's, I don't, I don't hardly pass that place up either. It's, it's great Mexican food. You're talking my language now. I think there's only two kinds of Mexican food, and that's good and better. I love that's Mexican right. food. And we don't get a lot of it in Gordon, Nebraska. Are you surprised at that? that that's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> we, Gordon has its upsides, but that would be one of the major downsides for old Jake. Is it still got that good steakhouse there? Yeah, we do. You know, it's not as open as much as it used to be, but we do still have our our, our good steakhouse. You can go get a nice steak on the weekend or something. So yeah, we're we're fine. We're set up good up here. Yeah. So I, I, I've got all kinds of good. I've got I've got them in Florida. I've got got uh, little lunch places. I love hole in the wall deals. I find them. I I I. I I've got I've got a nose for them restaurants. You can tell by how fat I've got. I I, <laughs> I, I find them them good restaurants. <laughs> well, look, I'm I'm going to warn you. Fair warning. We're getting to get uh, begin to have more and more people listen to this podcast all the time. So don't be surprised if your phone starts ringing when people are traveling. And I know I'm going to be calling you and bugging you now when we're on the hunt for something in a in a good city. I know you're my guy now. I, I'm your guy. Okay, I got to tell, tell you a quick funny one. Yeah, you said. You said the other day that you did a deal with, with Starwalt. Yeah, yeah. He he did our third episode, as a matter of fact, Kirk Steerwalt. Yeah, anyway, I, I uh, this has been several years ago, but he, he knew I was kind of a restaurant snob and all that. Well, he, I'm in uh, Alabama one day, and uh, he calls me, and I used to travel Canada all the time, and he called me one day, and he said, I'm headed up to Regina to Agribition or something. He said, uh, I was wondering, and I said, oh, I said, yeah. And so I ca- Steve Dorn was following me. So I called Dorn and I said, what's the name of that good restaurant uh, right there by the fairgrounds? And he goes, the keg. So I called uh, I called uh, Starwalt back and I said, Star, I said, uh, be sure and go to the keg while you're up there. He's, he, he's like, gosh, dang Delvin, you know where to eat everywhere, don't you? So, you're international I, I, I cuisine. That for a while, huh? Even internationally. Oh yeah, yeah. I let him. I let him think that was my idea. Finally, a few days later, I said, "Oh, I, I called my buddy. I said I had eat there several times, but I said I couldn't think of the name of it." He said, "Well, you had me. <laughs> you had him fooled. 
Oh, that's funny. Well, Delvin Helderman, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on Cattle Pros today. Um, I know you've got a busy schedule and a lot of things that you're getting ready for this fall. So first and foremost, I want to tell you thank you for your time today. And uh, anytime someone like you, a professional, can peel the curtain back a little bit and give us a sneak peek into what it is that you do and, and, and the auction business in particular, man, that's a treat for all of us. So I want to tell you thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And this is something I want to do more of. You know, I'd like to, to talk to more auction professionals, have some auctioneers on here, because it's a fascinating business. I've always been intrigued with it, and you guys do so much to support the production end of the business and uh, a lot of synergy between the two. You know, we kind of keep each other going. So um, something yeah. that I look forward to working uh, with you certainly again in the future, and it's been fun working with you in the past. So let's say somebody wants to talk to you, Delvin, about coming to their sale. How would they get in touch with you? Oh, like I said earlier, uh, Jake, I'm a little old-fashioned. I'm not on Facebook, no, not, no social media or anything, but I do do have a website. It's www.helderman.com. Okay. And then my phone number is 405-205-1116. Okay, so helderman.com, that gets you to their website. I know your email address, your phone number is, is all on there as well, so... There you have it, folks. Delvin, you, you can't find somebody better to be at your sale. Great guy. Fun guy to hang out with, too. So, Delvin, we're much better for talking to you today, and, and we appreciate you being on Cattle Pros. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. You tell your family hello, okay? Will Thank do. You, and we'll talk soon. You bet. Thanks.